everybody. How are you today? Hello, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. My name is Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams, and we have an awesome show for you today. This is going to be a great show. I'm excited. And as always, you and me both. And because we have a lot to pack in this hour, we're just going to get straight to it. So, Donya, over to you for introductions. All right. All right. So, first, I would like to introduce... Um, so this is different, you guys, so bear with me. <laughs> so I want to introduce Regina Griffin to the show. You know, I met Regina on um I met Regina kind of like by mistake because <laughs> she was doing something on LinkedIn and I was doing um something and we actually sent each other a message at the same time. So I ended up, you know, we kind of talking with her and we just hit it off so well and, and learned about the brown babies. And when I learned about the brown babies, the first thing I was like, oh, God, we have to have them on the show. So let me give you a little background about Regina. Um, <clears throat> first, I didn't like think. So Regina is... I, oh my God, my, my witch comb just went away. It's gone. My story just went away for Regina. I'm sorry. Regina is an executive producer. She's a director. She's a writer. She has actually um, done shows for um, Red Table Talk, the Spanish version. Am I correct? With Gloria yes, Estefan? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's, she's done all of that and she's won M uh, Emmy. She's won uh, different awards and she's just an awesome woman. So please welcome Regina to the show, guys. Thank you for having me. This is gonna be fun. I'm so excited for our conversation. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so today we are talking about brown babies. And originally, you know, in, in terms of your documentary, which I believe won a couple of awards. Yes. So congratulations for that. It's a superb documentary. We will be providing information about where people can actually see it because it is absolutely worth checking out. So your documentary is focusing on children who were born to Black American servicemen who, in World War II who were stationed in Germany and Caucasian German women um, and the kind of their journey around identity and discovery and trying to find out more about their information. And I believe, and again, you can talk more about this. Uh, and again, I believe that I don't remember the number, but quite a few of them were actually adopted and actually grew up here in America. And Donnie and I were just very curious about what was it that drew you to this subject? Because you just did such a wonderful storytelling job. So you could tell that you were very passionate about the subject. And I'm just curious what, what brought you to the subject? Yeah, you know, well, first of all, thank you so much for um, having me on. and. Um, having this conversation. And I made this movie 10 years ago. And I was really looking for something important and something with purpose to do. That was sort of my mission. I was a news producer and I just wanted something more. And I stumbled upon this topic that it was absolutely fascinating to me. It was fascinating to me personally. And it was something that I knew was a part, an important part of history that had not been told. And then I was particularly drawn to this particular particular um, era because of sort of the hypocrisy and policy of the time. Because, you know, you have these warring countries um, in World War II. And um, so they're, they're at war, but they're very much united in their racism, right? You have, you know, Jim Crow America, Nazi Germany, and you have these um, children who are part of both cultures, but they're sort of like the collateral damage of both. So I was just really um, fascinated by this topic and what happened to these children and how you could have these American soldiers who are fighting in this uh, segregated army, or excuse me, military um, in a segregated country. And so I made this film 10 years ago. So then fast forward 2020, and we all know like what we experienced in 2020. And those same 
um, the same like uh, issues of racism and s systemic racism and hate and violence was just as relevant 10 years later as it was like 50 years ago when the, you know, during the era of the movie, 10 years when I made it and then 2020. And so I actually re-released the film um, last year to, to express that, to show people like, look at what we're going through now, but look, this is so similar. Look at history and this untold story. So that was part of the reason. And then also, you know, as a black filmmaker, um, who, when I when I made the movie, it had very limited distribution because our stories weren't important. And 2020 just was another like, no, our history is more than just one chapter in a history book. It's it's very important and it needs to be told. So I re-released the film last year, and and did it myself. I took my power back because not being able to get a distribution deal. Um, 10 years later, technology was different. So I rebuilt my website and streamed it myself so that anybody who wants to see my movie, we don't have to wait for somebody to say, okay, it's okay. This is a good story. You can watch it yourself. So that was sort of then and now, and that's how we came to, to today. Okay. I'm going to say that you were superb in getting people to open up and talk about a really, not just a painful episode. This is a painful journey. That, yeah. that people went through and that requires trust so i mean i think that that was testament to, to you as a documentarian that you were able to establish that that trust with them what was that process like yeah no you're you're so um is you're so true it's so true because you know you want to tell somebody's i'm telling a moment of history but i'm telling it through the eyes of the people who went through it and, and as I mentioned, the children were collateral damage. We're talking about real people who are now in their 60s and 70s, but they lived that horrible experience. And I also wanted to tell it through the eyes of the, the soldiers and the eyes of the mothers who were, everybody was caught into this. And I'm so grateful that I was able to get some of these people on tape because many of them have passed on in these last 10 years. There are not very many um, World War II um, soldiers alive. So to get Dave Tunney on tape, to um, get some of the white German children who experienced that, but it does, it takes trust. It, it takes, I, so it started off with one brown baby, uh, Doris McMillan. Um, she was the first person. And then she introduced me to other people. And as I started to talk to them and learn more about their stories, and so many people have stories, you know, I picked, you know, five or six, seven people to tell my, tell my, share their stories with me, but there are countless numbers of stories, but it really does. It takes trust. It takes people to understand that you really want to give them a voice and you're going to do it um, respectfully and you're going to honor their history, but also share their pain. So yeah, it really is important to have that, that alignment of trust so people will really go there because these um, stories are very, very, very painful. It was really weird to me that once we started, you know, really getting into learning more and then watching the show, um, I, learned, I realized that I may have a cousin who was a brown baby because we didn't know how she was related, but she was from Germany. We didn't know any of that. So now I'm trying to reach her to actually try to find out, you know, is your, was your dad a soldier when, you know, when you were, you know, born or, you know, I'm, it's just very, it's very interesting. And as you guys know, um, as genealogists, a lot of uh, our culture is secret. You know, people don't open up, you know, families just sort of hush, hush, and you just sort of let it go. So that, you know, that is part of it. And particularly when you had women who were having illegitimate children by black men who were enemies, there's, there's, a, there's a shame to that, especially during that era. So people kept things quiet. 
And we are fortunate to be joined by two brown babies, but not World War II era. Got to make that make that clear. Um, well, actually, if they were World War II, they would be amazing considering um, presentation of age. <laughs> I think I'll put, I think I'll put it that way. But these these are not World War II era brown babies. And Donnie, I didn't know if you'd like to take the, um, this opportunity to introduce our two special guests. Yes, so let me bring them onto the show. Um, first, I'd like to introduce to you um, Ramona Burns. Ramona Burns is a brown baby out of Germany. She's been doing ancestry and going on three years in the finding family and I can't see break and break through brick walls before and before and break through brick walls before ancestry. She did genealogy the hard way for fifteen years. I can't even imagine that, Ramona. And um, she now helps people along the way navigate their ancestry and help them find their families. She's not a professional genealogist yet, but she is in training for it. And she helps solve a few cases along the way. So welcome, Ramona. And then um, we also have Jasmine Redden on the show. Jasmine is, is has been into genealogy for over 20 years. Um, it all started from finding her own personal roots. She said, I help brown babies in Europe find their bio biological parents. And she is has been doing it for 15 or more years. She started a website with, with a friend called onemeetingplaceonly.org. And this website is a place for people that are searching for family and loved ones to come and find their families. She speaks fluent German and English. And she grew up in Germany with an African American father and a German mother. So welcome, welcome, welcome to you guys. Thank you. It's great being on the show. Yes, welcome to you both. Yes, Ramona. Yes, both of you. So let's start by um like really trying to understand because as Jasmine said, I mean, as Regina said, she's not the she's not the researching tool. She she goes to the researching tool. And um, these two ladies are a part of that. So Jasmine, you said that you actually helped Regina with a uh, show, with with the Brown Baby show. Can you give us some background on that and how it made you feel helping those people? Um, so when Regina gets somebody that emails her and she also had Doris McMillan um, reached out to me through Regina and she had asked me to help her find her sister. So I started, I'm helping her actually find her half sister in Germany currently. So that's one person that was on her show and I've helped others that she sent my way. Um, people that just wanna know who their identity is. Okay. Yeah, cause like to this day, people message me and uh, email me and ask me, how can I find my relative? And you know, like I said, I, you know, I am a storyteller, I'm a journalist, I'm a filmmaker, but I don't know how to find your family member. So I always send them to Jasmine and Ramona and say, hey, not only can they help you, but they're also fellow brown babies as well. So they speak fluent German and they can, um, you know, help navigate the, you know, the trials and tribulations of finding your loved one. Because as someone who has researched his German ancestors, those records are not necessarily the easiest things to kind of navigate. Naming convention, first of all, you have to be able to read the language. Let, let's just start there. Then you have naming conventions. Do they use that first name? Do they not use that first name? Because they have saint names and all the rest of it. How do you navigate people through all of that? Um, it really starts out with, I get as much information as I can from them, what they do know, what records they get from the youth services and whoever they, um, go see or talk to or have talked to. I compile that all together and then I sit down and go through it and then, and I, then I use people, people, you know, you know we can do services, services with those records, records. The you can um, And then and we then go, we from, go there from there and, and you know, I ask them to do DNA. DNA. Because in because Germany, in Germany I'm I'm two, two, 
weeks, weeks, and years, years ago, ago they weren't allowed, allowed, allowed to do DNA. DNA. So we seem so to be experiencing audio. We're experiencing some audio problems, guys. Uh, I don't know why. Actually, I do know why. So apparently the um the issue is coming in because of the overall when Facebook went out, they're still having those audio issues. So sometimes uh we may go in and out, but the um the overall videoing and the recording of it will be clear. So I'm trying to clear up my end, but you guys keep going and just keep talking. I'm just going to be the one that's clearing it up because Ramona can't hear at all. Okay. So. so either to Jasmine or, or Ramona, actually, I'm, I'm going to address this to Ramona. She, she can't hear you. And she can't. She can't. Okay. okay. Yeah. So, so part of the part of the, the issue the with the brown is, is, is this struggle with an identity, identity between German, German and, and American. American. What was that like was for you? What was that like for you? For me, for me it was it's... learning how to combine the two. So I grew up, you know, on a military base in Mannheim, actually, where the lady that um, Regina wrote part of her documentary on um, same town and being, you know, my grandmother lived in a little town on the outskirts and being the only African-American kid in a kindergarten class with my aunt, you know, I already knew I was different. So learning how to deal with that and, you know, learning to love myself enough to deal with the downfalls of being a brown baby. You know, everybody looked at you when you went to the store. Everybody, you know, talked about you behind your back. So my grandmother always made sure that I was put front and center in everything we did my childhood, during my childhood. And I can speak a little bit about Mabel Grammer. This is the woman that Jasmine is referring to. So during this time, um, to, give you, to give you a little um, just perspective, there were lots of children born during this occupation. You know, estimates are 100,000 children were born to allied uh, uh, servicemen. So you've got French, British, Soviet, and American children born during this occupation time. Most of those children were Ameri had American uh, fathers. About 5,000 of them were black. So there's the thing, like these children stood out. The, of the 95,000 other, you know, white children, um, the brown babies couldn't blend in. They were um, very vi highly visible. And Mabel Grammer was an African-American woman who lived in Germany. Uh, her husband was in the military and she made it her business to find homes for children. Um, she's credited with finding, facilitating the adoptions of about about 500 um, people. And it, again, bringing that time back to today, it was, she believed strongly that um, because of systemic racism, black families were not able to adopt children because of the standards for education and finance. And so she took it upon herself to place children with families. And she started with the children, who, families who were based in Germany, but she also lived in Washington, D.C. So she had great connections um, in the D.C. area, and she was a reporter for the Afro-American paper. So, so she used her paper to also advertise the fact that there were children, but I think that there were black children who needed homes. So I just think like bringing that back to today, how she saw that systemic racism um, would keep um, black families from getting these children. So she, she did it herself and she's just a really amazing woman. She adopted 12 children of her own while trying to place, um, other children with families. So just a real, real hero that people need to know. And, oops. I think I'm unmuted now. 
Um, so basically, especially with that World War II era, we're, we're talking about international, international adoptions. adoptions. So what is what is German so what is, adoption, what is German record, adoption like? record like? German adoption. German adoption. Yes. What what is the re what are those records like? Um, so, well, those, well, records those records are, are sometimes based cases. Sometimes, sometimes you don't have records, records at all. They will they not will release them to, them to the, the brown baby, brown baby to even to help even them. Help them. I had one case, one case. Um, just recently where I had one record. She had page one, two, five, seven, ten, twelve, and that was it. So sometimes there's not even no records. Sometimes there's records that they may have bits and pieces and you don't always get everything. And sometimes you have to hunt for it or, you know, go to the youth services and then go to the courthouse and they give you a runaround. So it just depends on, um, you know, what records you're exactly looking for, what the situation is. Because if they drew up in a, Kindersheim, which is a kid's home. Um, sometimes there are no records, especially for the brown babies back during World War II. And right after the war, there's no records that existence today. So it's bits and pieces, piecing together, trying to find someone that was located there at the youth services and getting them to, you know, talk to you. And sometimes, and sometimes they're scared to talk to you. True, because I mean, I imagine just adoption records or trying to access them are difficult enough when you're actually in the country that you were born in. And again, I just imagine just the the nightmare of trying to access adoption records in a different country. Um, so thank you for answering that 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 question. Was kind of hoping for a different answer, but it is you know it is what it is. <laughs> I'd ask Ramona because she can hear now. <laughs> Okay, what so was the question? I didn't hear the beginning part. Mm -hmm. So the, the question was about the, the difficulty in, in accessing these adoption records. What was your experience like? Well, in my case, I haven't really dealt too much with accessing adoption records, but I do know that it's a pain in the butt, <laughs> so to speak, to um, access them. Now, here in the States, from my understanding, a lot of states have now opened records or have opened records so you can access uh, your own records. And I've also heard of cases of um, where people can take it to court and they will open the records just long enough for you to get the information. If you, let's say, um, give a reason as you're doing genealogy. And then once you got your information, they will reseal the record. And this is stateside is what I've been uh, experiencing. Now, Germany is a whole different ball game. Germany, they keep records locked up for lots and lots of years, and it's very difficult getting those. Why do they do that? It's just a privacy um, issue. I know that a lot of records, they stay closed for 100 years before you can even access it. It's not like in the States where you can... Uh, you know, I can go and look at census records. The Germany don't really have census records like they do here. And uh, some records are sealed for 100 years plus. So it makes it very difficult trying to find ancestors for say, per se in Germany. You have to go find the um, books that each little town has that lists family members, names and things like that. But yeah, it's a whole different ballgame than it is stateside. So it just depends on who you're searching for and where they're from. And what the I know for us, I know for us, we actually um for stateside, you you have to wait 75 years. So it's it's 75 years from the time that the census record was um yes, originally yes. done, which makes it come out every 10 years. So you know we're going to see the 1950 census next year, next year. Um, yes. but theirs is a hundred years. That's that's crazy. Yes, <laughs> some some things are a lot more different. 
And we seem to be getting a repeat question. We will not be able to, to actually screen uh, Regina's documentary. Um, one, because it's on, on her site. She's an independent filmmaker, so she needs to get that revenue. Um, the other is we only have an hour slot. So the, the documentary itself would actually fill this time slot. So we're talking about the documentary, but we're talking about this also in a wider context. And uh, Ramona, if you wanted to just um, spend just a, a brief amount of time just, just talking about your, your own experience. Well, I was born and raised in Germany. My mom is Caucasian and my daddy was black, a US soldier from the States. And my experience, I, I experienced a lot of racism growing up. I could not wait to come to the United States ever since I was a little girl, I did not want to be there. Um, it's hard to explain. I didn't have a very good home life. I was put in a girl's home at a young age and it wasn't a good experience in there either. And so as I became of age and uh, got married, I came over here and then I tried to find my father's family since my dad passed before I was born. And it took me about 20 something years, but I found them all. <laughs> and uh, now I just do ancestry to, to find other cousins that I've never met and to help people along the way that are new to ancestry. I try to help them and explain how ancestry works and I try to help find their relatives as best as I can. I'm not a professional yet, I'm in training. <laughs> but I've solved a Which few cases along the way. Which makes a nice segue to a question we have from an audience member, Shelley Murphy. Has the history of your experience or your parents been handed down to your children, if you have any? I know. No. For mine, my history has been passed down. My daughter's actually finally loving genealogy and getting into it. And sometimes she'll sit in and she'll be like, Mom, you should try this. You should try that. So my daughter is kind of taking that realm and wanting to learn more. So I'm slowly showing her our family history and getting her involved in our tree. Now, if she's referring no. to history as far as DNA, I had my mom test, my two children test, my, my auntie test on my daddy's side, and my half-sister. And nobody really shows any interest in genealogy other than me. Um, but, you know, they enjoyed it while it was still brand new when they first tested and got their results. But they basically leave it up to me to, you know, handle all the accounts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess because, again, we, we grow up here, well, we grew up reading about how children of immigrants um, are very, you know, tend to be interested in the, where their parents came from or their grandparents came from. Is there any of that with, um, you know, specific, with your families? I mean, is there any interest in the German side of their heritage at all? My mom is really interested in her history because she doesn't know much on her great grandfather's side or her grandfather's side. So we've been working on that line. Um, but, you know, other than that, my kids kind of want to go. My daughter really is the only one that's interested is going to Germany and seeing everything kind of where my mom grew up, where my grandmother grew up, that side of things. But other than that, there's really nobody in the family that's really interested. As far as me, my daughter knows my mom. And she has herself been uh, living in Germany when she was uh, in with her husband in the military in Germany. So she got to know my German side of the family. Uh, as far as going further back, she's not really too interested in that. And as far as me, I'm more interested in my African-American side since I you know, was born and raised in Germany. And um, so that's more my thing. <laughs> but I do have an extensive tree on my German heritage. And if the, if the chief can speak about commonalities and differences between meeting your American and your, sorry, I'm speaking with a delay in my ear, so it's kind of throwing me off a bit. Difference between your American family and meeting your German, 
your relationships with your German family? Are were they similar experiences, or were there were there any notable differences? There were notable differences um, because I didn't really know my dad's side of the family that well growing up because I grew up in Germany. So I didn't know, like, my my mom's side, we always did stuff. We went, you know, did stuff together. And then when I moved here, it was like that was all taken from me uh, moving to the United States. So then I wanted to know my dad's side of the family and where I came from. So I wanted to know my African-American side. So I started divulging that. And that's really what started the whole genealogy experience for me. Well, commonology, in my case... It's a whole, it's two different worlds. You know, coming from Germany, we live over there a totally different way than, than you do, Americans do over here. So the first thing is a culture shock. And then as I met my American, my African-American family over here, it's a whole different world from what I used to in Germany, if you understand what I mean. Um, my African-American side of the family is very religious. They have their own churches, their ministers, pastors, all throughout the family. I'm not used to that on my German side of the family. We're not, it just don't work that way in Germany. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's a lot of differences. Um, and the way they live their life compared to how we lived our life in Germany, it's, it's totally different. Well, we get used to it. I, I have adapted. I've been over here 30 years now, so I'm used to both sides. <laughs> well, Ramona, well, you, read, Ramona, my you read my mind. Because I was going to ask both you and Jasmine about this very thing, because I'm very familiar with Germany and in German culture. So on the one hand, you, you know, in Germany, and I'm not saying this is prevalent everywhere, but I remember in the summer going to a park with my lunch, with my mates, <laughs> And there's all of, the, all of these nude people. I mean, they're completely nude. And no one's raising an eyebrow. Could you imagine doing that in Central Park? Could you? Absolutely. So, you know, differences between, say, body image, nudity on the one hand, um, and, the, you know, the way that perhaps communities may speak and treat to each other. And then you have a very different culture here. What was that like for both of you navigating two such extremely different cultures? Well, for me, it's it wasn't uh, an issue because growing up in Germany, I'm used to that. So nude mm -hmm. beaches is a normal thing for us. There's nothing to raise an eyebrow about. Um, girls kissing girls, dancing with girls on the dance floor in, in the night establishment is a common thing versus over here it gets looked upon and frowned upon because it's not the culture of the united states unless of course there are lgbt or something like that but to us it was just a normal thing and when i came over here and i saw how people reacted to certain things like that i was like and then i realized y'all weren't used to this this is it's normal for us. Normal. My, my husband, when he went to Germany the first time in his younger years, uh, he went down to the beach and mistakenly went to a nude beach. And, you know, when he arrived, they told him he had to take off his clothes to get on here. And he was like, what? And he turned around and left because he was ashamed. You know? <laughs> but to us, it's just a normal everyday thing, like going to the grocery store. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's so that's true. True. We have um a question for Regina and basically um they said how did how did it uh the film how was the film received in Germany? Well, you know, you know it was not streamed in Germany. So I had when my movie came out, we first started out with film festivals. So we did stream, uh, we did uh, film festivals across the country. And then at that time, it was uh, like uh, crowdsourcing at movie theater. So what it would, so to have a screening, we would need like a certain number of people to buy tickets and then um, we would have a screening. And then we had some limited exposure um, on TV, but in the US. 
So, so it was never, my film was never widely distributed until once I put it on my website and then anybody can stream it where, you know, wherever you are, if you could sit on your phone or computer or wherever. And that just happened a year ago. But so that, that was part of my, um, you know, my conversation early on was this was a film that despite the critical success, we could not get wide distribution. Brian, we can't hear you. Your 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 sound is gone. So while Brian yeah, is trying to get yeah, that actually, fixed, I'm, 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 I just I just, just have to unmute. Okay. So Regina, so, please, Regina, please that question. Sorry, I've got feedback again. Um, in tw in the year twenty twenty one, would this be mm -hmm. an easier documentary to get distributed, or do you think you would still face certain issues? You know, I there's a part of me that says it would be easier simply because people say they want uh, diverse content, but as a as a TV executive who's out here, you know, developing shows and trying to get them um, uh, produced and greenlit, you know, I haven't really seen the door widely opened. But I do think there is definitely um, people who are more open to diverse content because every person that has seen the movie that it talks to me, especially if you're a person of color, it is like, oh my God, I didn't know this, you know? And I'm not saying that, you know, people, that white people wouldn't feel the same, but at least black people feel like I had no idea this was happening. I want to learn more about you know, this experience. So there is, to me, there is definitely an audience convincing TV executives that, um, that this is important. Um, you know, that's another, that's another battle, but I guess I would say, I think it would be more open, but I still think there is a steep hill to climb. Well, um, we actually have a question, another question for the researchers from Carla Holloway. And she says, did any of your research bring you into Louisiana, the German coast, St. John the Baptist? I seem to have close DNA matches from there. I actually had a case um, that led me to Louisiana um, for a brown baby just recently over the last year or so. So there are cases that come close to Louisiana, Texas area. Um, I've probably much solved a case and uh, found a biological family member in every state. So it just depends on where the soldiers got stationed at next and where that trail leads us. Wow. Well, Shelly Murphy, um, Regina, she says that she think now is the perfect time to bring it back out on the scene. And and I agree with her because for those that have not seen it yet, it is such um, an interesting story. And you see what these children had to go through. And this wonderful woman who just took her time. And I think you said, um, Regina, it was like 120 some odd children that she ended up helping. You're, you're muted, Regina. <laughs> She's Mabel Grammer is credited with about the facilitation of about 500 children. Um, of, and those kids were placed all over, you know? It's, it, it's really interesting. And, and like I said, with every person, each person has their own story. That's absolutely fascinating. But I, in... If you if you saw my film um, at the American Black Film Festival, you saw the original two hour length movie. Now it's been cut to an hour just for time. But in the film, I have two adults who were children who were on the same flight from Germany, flying from Germany to Washington, D.C. as little kids. And, and leaving the only home that they knew coming to America, they, Mabel Grammer had um, found them homes in the Washington DC area. And they, were, they recall that flight. 
and think of not really knowing where they were going. Their only language was German. They were little, little kids. And, and just like that, that fear of the unknown, but being told they were going to find, they were going to their mama, you know? And so just like what that meant to them of finally finding a home, but just like going to this other land and never like, just not knowing what's, what's to come. And so it's just very powerful of, of all this uncertainty of not being black, not being white, not being American, not being German, not not having a mother or, you know, a biological or adoptive parent and just not fitting in. So there's just so many, um, so many dynamics in it. And the thing that I find is touch on this because this actually makes a, a, a good statement. Kathleen Evan Barnes, she said, it's inter- interesting that German culture is receptive to nudity and homosexuality behavior, but less receptive to Blacks mi- mixing with German women. Well, that I wanted to make. And that's saying that when she's seeing you, can we do something about the feedback? Um, isn't anything new in Europe. I mean, this goes back to even before the Roman period, where multi-ethnic people were moving, you know, being moved around, being displaced, or going going to different places for, for opportunities. You know, it's documented in Britain. Romans brought people of all kinds of ethnicities into France, into into Britain, all the all the territories that they controlled. And it's been going on since then. When we've all heard about Queen Charlotte of Queen Charlotte of England, you know, King George's wife, she's supposed to be of, of mixed race. What is it? And again, that goes to the the question that's been asked about German culture. What is it about European culture? Because it's it's not just a European thing that makes mixed race children other, just so completely different. Well, for me, the thing I'd like to say is, you know, racism is alive and well everywhere. So whether it's, you know, Germany, Italy, it it don't matter. I remember my mom used to tell me that when she was young, growing up, that her parents would always steer her away from black men. Don't date any soldiers. The fear was in Germany that when the soldiers came to Germany, that they was taking all the German women. And so the people were upset because, you know, wives left their husbands. People that was going to get married all of a sudden didn't get married anymore because she started dating a soldier. It got so bad that uh, my grandparents used to tell my mother that black people grow a tail after midnight, just to be home before midnight. And my mom believed that for a long time until she found out otherwise. But, you know, that's the thing that was uh, uh, happening when my mom was young and dating and incidentally my mom had a black sister who was born you know uh, after the war and uh and she also came over here as a young child but uh those are the i can imagine some of the stories were told back then to steer the german ladies away from american soldiers whether they were black mexican or you know whatever but it seemed to be more an emphasis on the black soldier to stay away yeah absolutely that's that propaganda was um prevalent of of staying away from the black soldiers and it wasn't until like people just started mingling that they you know black soldiers just started they, they had a reputation of being kind, of giving candy to children and being nicer than the white soldiers. So people started to get to know them. And it was sort of like, okay, well, now that we get to know you, you're, you know, you're not so, you're not so bad. And that's how they like these friendships and these relationships um, started. And then also um, 
to to Ramona's point, because of this racism, you know, the mothers were not able to keep their jobs or have a find a place to live with their black with their black children. So, you know, the effects were um, were race, racial, social and economic when, you know, you don't you can't work because you have this child or you can't um, have a, a home rent an apartment because you have this black child. Oh, Regina, that actually brings a question from um, Bernice Bennett. And basically she says, please ask Regina if any of the German mothers were searching for their children. Well, I mean, Ramona can speak to that as well um, with your experience with, you know, with, you know, you had to go to a foster home at some point, but many people either they kept their children for as long as they could until it got so bad that they just couldn't, they, you know, they couldn't survive because they couldn't, they couldn't support their, 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 their bigger families. And, and that's sort of how the word got out about this woman, Mabel Grammer and Mabel would then women would, would come to Mabel and say, will you please find a home for my child? So um, it wasn't, there, there were women who desperately wanted to keep their children, but they just couldn't after a certain point because life got so bad. And you got to remember that back in them days after the war, a lot of children were taken away by CPS. You know, the youth services would come in and just take these kids away. Because be born, they were black. Yep. They found out that you were a brown baby. CPS would come in and just take the kids away. Because you had to be an adult was what twenty was twenty one. So if you had a child at nineteen, you were you. It was like the state is the father, not the not the mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. And sometimes, and sometimes it was the parents, parents too. too. You know, I've had a couple of cases where the grandparents were like, "No, this you know, my daughter just had this kid." And even though she's not 21 yet, I don't want it around. So they'd call CPS, so to speak, and have the kid taken away. Wow. Another question was asked was where did the origin of brown babies, you know, the, the word itself, the, the statement itself actually come from? You mean the word Michelin Kinder? That is yes. mixed, mixed, and, mixed and children. Oh. Let the German speakers talk. <laughs> well, actually, the most term that I always was told was war babies. Uh, Michelin's kinder or war babies. The brown babies is fairly new to me ever since I've met you, Regina, is where I know the term of brown babies. But I usually never associated brown babies with being a German child, you know, a German black baby. We was always called war babies in Germany by the Germans or also the uh, black soldiers or so. They'd be like, oh, you're a war baby, <laughs> even though I wasn't born back then, but it's still stuck. The name still stuck. It got yeah. passed down. Yeah. I don't know about Jasmine, but that's, you know. Yeah, we got Mischlingshinda, war babies. Yeah. There were so many different names that we were called. Yeah. In my neck of the woods, I'm from Wurzburg, Kitsigan area. <clears throat> they would call us war babies. Never heard brown baby. <laughs> and in the United Kingdom, I believe the phrase, because I remember this, it, half cost. I will always remember one of the first mm -hmm. questions I was asked is if I was half cost. Half and I'm cost. like, what are you even talking about? Wow. It's like, I'm a person of mixed ancestry. Just that, that's it. But yeah, that's, I guess that's the British equivalent to, to brown babies. Yeah, and to uh, Bernice's point, like Michelin is not a kind word. It's like mixed as in like, um, like it, it's, it's a negative, uh, it's a negative word. I don't want to go, I don't want to say what it is, but it's not a kind word. It actually just means mixed kid. It's not really, to me, it's not offensive. I actually don't care for the term brown babies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to, to me, you know. 
Well, I've heard I've heard that that word is like Michelin is like dog to like referred to as dogs. So, and I've had a conversation with people who have been highly offended by that word, and I've just mm. sort of been like, look, this whole situation is highly offensive. So yeah. that, that the yeah. title just I reflects mean, how horrible. Yeah, it just depends on I think the different. area you're in. Yeah, um, where you know Michelin's is different. There's different, different definitions for it. So that's why some people take more offense to it than others um, in Germany. So I'm going to say to Ramona and to Jasmine, what does it take to actually do this kind of research? A lot of patience, um, <laughs> a lot of translating, a lot of learning. You know, for me at the beginning, learning how to read the old German writing, that's oh. a whole different ball game um, because there's so many dialects of German. And luckily, I grew up in a lot of those areas. So I was able to, I can speak the dialects and just time and research and kind of holding those kids, those children that are looking, you know, I always communicate with them. I always tell them what's going on, what's going on with their case, you know, and just working closely with them, calling them two, three times a week, you know, letting them know, Hey, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay that you're nervous. It's okay. You're scared. I just recently had a case where a um, young gentleman was ready to give up because the family wasn't responsive and I ended up locating some brothers of his and reuniting them all. So you no, know, sometimes they just want to give up because they fought so long their whole childhood. And then they just want to quit when they're so close and you just got to keep them going. She said we were not some blacks, including children in the concentration camps. Did you guys know anything about that? Yep. I've heard of Blacks having been put in concentration camps. I've heard of that. I don't have any proof of that, but I have heard that happened. But there weren't that many around back then. But yes, I've heard of that. Me as well. I think anybody that wasn't blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, was automatically, you know, either picked up or put in concentration camps. I know that, you know, that's how I got grew up. I, I was brought up knowing that, you know, most of the people that went to concentration camps were the ones that were blue, high, blue eyes, blonde hair, German kids. So my follow-up question to that is thinking about the next generation or two, because um, there's always young genealogists coming up and about, is there anything in the records or even like a modern census record that would indicate that an ancestor was a brown baby? Are there clues and records that, that say, you know, your grandchildren or your great grandchildren kind of researching their family history should keep an eye out for? Hmm. Good question. You mean in the newer census records, they don't mm -hmm. really put mulatto or black on these new census records that I've, know of i'd have to look what do you think i mean for germany it's just documentation if somebody in the family sometimes the elders will write in their family bibles or you know paperwork or letters and they keep letters and sometimes you can find clues there for the newer generations but they don't list them publicly because it's an embarrassment. Um, so it's it's hard to find the records. Sometimes the local <clears throat> churches, you can go there and try to see if somebody has anything listed in their baptism record. But more times, nine out of 10, you're not going to find much. Because mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the challenging thing about this history is, you know, I'm thinking maybe 100, 100 125 years from now is looking at a 2020 census for someone who is described as black, but being born in Germany. Is that something that, you know, 150 years from now, I should get really excited about or just go, wait a minute, how did that happen? Um, most likely, how did that happen? Um, <laughs> just because it's it's so undocumented. 
unless somebody in the family documents it, it's going to be hard to get public records because we can't get records now with CPS and the courts, you know, 150 years from now, they may not even have those records anymore. I want to ask one last question because um, we're actually coming up on that hour. It's crazy. It happened so quickly. Um, <laughs> but at Angela Walton Raji, she says, how does the population from Ethiopia fare in Germany today? She says she understands that there is an Ethiopian community. So there is... There is an Ethiopian community. Um, a lot of the bigger cities now have a African American community, and also a uh, biracial community that gets together and they do functions and they do different things together. So there's more now that you know 2020 has happened. There's more community gatherings all the way around Germany. Mixed races or Africans have uh, always been around Germany. And as time passes, they just get accepted more and more. It's not like it's still 1950, 1960, or 70s, where it was harder for uh, dark-skinned people to live in Germany. So it's a lot better now for, but they have lots of uh, Ethiopian communities all around Germany. And they have a much better quality of life than, let's say, when I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are coming up to the top of the hour. I would, and I know John is going to say the same thing. Thank all three of you for, for coming on. Thank you, Regina, for just a fantastic subject, you know, to, to shoot a documentary on. Um, and for people in the audience, if you want to know more, you know, apart from Regina's documentary, there are loads of like interviews and video video clips that kind of talk about this history as well. Um, Jasmine and Ramona, thank you for just being so candid and for for sharing parts of um, parts of your life story, not just with us but with our audience. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you for thank having, you having us. On the show. And I want to um, just reiterate that both Jasmine and Ramona um, work with the One America. I'm sorry. Yeah. The One Meeting Place Only.org. You can contact them there. And this is Jasmine's email address going across the bottom. And then um, here is Ramona's email address. So you can contact them. Again, Regina, you know we have, I have such love for you. So uh, thank you, you know, so much you know, just doing what you've done. Thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah, if you want to check out the documentary, it's brownbabiesfilm.com. It's $5. You can stream it for a couple of days. And please reach out if you'd like to uh, for keep the conversation going. So thank you for everyone who's watched this and shared the last hour with us. Sorry and apologies for the audio. We will get that started for next week. Um, and speaking of next week, we have another amazing show. Uh, we are joined by a cousin, Elizabeth Bertie Wiseman, who is going to talk about a book that she's writing because she actually has four fathers. So I'm just going to leave it there. It's going to be a wonderful <laughs> discussion. <laughs> and until next Sunday at 4 p.m. in all of our usual all places. All of our usual places. I'm, 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 and I'm Donya Williams. Thank you again for showing up with us. There we go. There's the closing credits. Thank you okay. again. I appreciate it's not the it's not the easiest topic to, topic to discuss. To so discuss. Then, thank you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank for you that. so much for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, and I don't um, and know. I don't know do, do, actually, I'm going to take actually, my headphones off. This is driving me nuts.